Welcome to My Empower Project with your host, Erin Rowe. We will discuss nutrition, fitness, becoming your own boss, and just becoming better every day. I invite you to join My Empower Project as we embark, embrace, encompass, and enlighten. Melanie Rogers is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian, and she is the founder and executive director of Balance Eating Disorder Treatment Center in New York City. Her understanding of the research behind obesity gave her a unique perspective on binge eating disorder and eating behaviors in general. Hi, Melanie. Welcome to my Empower Project. Hey, Erin. Great to be here, and thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to discuss not so much food, but relationships with food. How do you know if you have a problem with food? It's a great question, Erin. And I get asked this a lot because obviously it's on a lot of people's minds. I think some of the key ways that you can discover if you have a problem with food is to ask yourself how much of your day do you spend thinking, or I would say worrying about food what you've eaten, what you should eat, what you haven't eaten, what did you eat yesterday, what did I eat for breakfast, what therefore should I eat for dinner, should I cut this out, should I skip that, oh, but I had that for breakfast, so maybe I should do something different for dinner, maybe I should skip the salad dressing. If you find yourself asking a lot of questions a lot of the time around food each day, spending a lot of time maybe at the supermarket, maybe spend a lot of time looking at recipes, a lot of time cooking, but not necessarily eating everything you eat, then it might suggest that there's some obsessiveness there that may be interfering with your ability to have what I call a neutral relationship with food, which means that food is just food. It's for pleasure. We enjoy it. We use it to fuel our bodies but we're not obsessing over it and we're not obsessing, am I eating the healthiest way I can, etc., to the point that it's causing you anxiety. So if your relationship with food and thinking about food is causing you anxiety, it suggests that it might not be such a great relationship. It might have tilted into the obsessive. There's something I never heard about until actually a few years ago. It's called disordered eating. I was a bodybuilder and in the competition world, when the competition ends, I saw so many girls fall into a disordered eating and binge eating. So what is the difference between disordered eating and binge eating or an eating disorder? Absolutely. They're actually very, very uh, similar, but on a spectrum, Erin. So I like to think of disordered eating as, let's use an, uh, a medical analogy. Uh, disordered eating, well, first and foremost, let me uh, define it a little better. Disordered eating is where you have some symptoms of either restricting or maybe you overeat and occasionally throw up or maybe you overeat and you don't throw up or you don't compensate. So you have those behaviours, but they might happen once a week or once a month or when I get really stressed or when I have a fight with my boyfriend or my husband or my partner or my boss yells at me. So let's track that through. But they're also still just distressing and they're usually a lot of body image concern. And there's often usually a fear of gaining weight and there's usually very much a fear of wanting to, uh, a desire to lose weight and a lot of scale use, okay? So I'm describing some behaviours here. So that could be disordered eating. And then if you can follow that on a continuum, someone who's restricting most days of the week 
with someone who's restricting but then will overeat and throw up, but maybe they're doing that a couple of times a week, or someone who is restricting but then binging and then going into a carbohydrate coma and they do that once or twice a week. That's actually an eating disorder there. But as you can see, the symptoms or the behaviors are the same. It's just less frequency and uh, less intensity. But it doesn't mean, and I think this is the important message, Erin, that I, I'd love to get out to your listeners, is it doesn't mean that disordered eating is not a big deal. It is actually still a really big deal. It's still very dangerous. And it's still very disruptive for the person who's experiencing it. So going back to my, my medical example um, as a way to clarify this, let's say an eating disorder is, let's say, you a fully broken ankle. I've broken my ankle and that's the equivalent of an eating disorder. Oh my God, I need to go and see the doctor. I've got to get a cast. I've got crutches, the whole deal, right? X-rays, the whole deal. And let's say a badly sprained ankle is the disordered eating equivalent of that. I would say that a badly sprained ankle is still no joke. Do you need a cast? Not necessarily. Do you need x-rays? Well, maybe initially. Do we think of it as with the same severity as a broken angle, ankle? I don't think we do, but it's still very significant. So I don't know if that analogy or that example translates to disordered eating is like a, spra a badly sprained ankle. It's still really bad and you still might need PT and it might bother you for a few years and it's still going to cause you a lot of pain and distress and discomfort as you try and hop around your apartment. So I hope that that helps to illustrate that they're, they're actually very connected, but just the severity is different. How do you feel social media plays a role in creating this like false narrative in our heads regarding our own self-image? The thing about social media, and we know there are a lot of benefits to social media, right? We're connected. It's, uh, that's where I get my news feed from, etc. So there's a lot of great stuff. But what social media does is it gives us almost an infinite amount of imagery, especially imagery of other people to which we compare ourselves. And I mean body image imagery. So unlike pre-social pre media, the main imagery that we were all exposed to was TV, so actors, magazines, fashion magazines, billboards. But we were fairly limited to those types of media modalities. So now with social media, this little baby is in your hand. I mean, you fall asleep in your hand. And as you're scrolling, what we may not even be aware of is as we scroll, we actually are comparing ourselves to everyone, if that's the way our brain is wired. We're comparing ourselves to everyone that we see. Am I as thin as that person? Oh my goodness, do my biceps look like that? For the guys, am I as toned and cut as that dude? And what we find is that when we compare ourselves, we usually feel worse about ourselves it lowers our self-esteem, it lowers our self-confidence, but also it creates a distortion that we need to look like that person. And what that then does through that anxiety is it usually pushes us in the direction of, okay, well, that means I need to do something, i.e. be thinner or buffer, 
So I'm going to now go on a diet or I'm going to cut out carbs or I'm going to start pumping iron at the gym. And I want to say gently that not all comparison is bad, of course, but with social media, we've seen such a proliferation to a point that we know that people actually get depressed with overconsumption on social media. And we know that social media is linked to more negative body image and lower self-esteem and therefore makes us more vulnerable to dieting, but not just dieting, radical behaviors that are unhealthy and can lead to disordered eating, a sprained ankle scenario or a full-blown eating disorder, which is why we're seeing one of the reasons we think we're seeing an uptick in eating disorders at this time. Do you think that mental health issues are on the rise or are they leveling out or you think social media is really increasing them with eating disorders? I think social media is definitely playing a role. And, and again, we know there's some benefits, but there's also some, some not so great benefits. And we're getting, fortunately, we're getting more and more research now that's really having a look at this to see is, is this actually a thing? Is this actually a phenomenon? And we are seeing that, that it is true. I think it's got to do with volume of use because if you're just on social media for a couple of minutes, it's not, it's not a major part of your day. Your brain has a moment to kind of restabilize in reality. But if you're over-consuming, which many of us do, then we are seeing a very negative effect. As far as the mental health question, Erin, we're seeing a huge uptick in mental health concern right now. I think it's twofold. One, I think because we're talking about it, more people are coming forward with their struggle. I think we're much better at asking the question about how are you mentally, emotionally, not just how are you. Um, We're asking that with some intention. And unfortunately, we're seeing that with more and more pressures put on people with very perhaps unrealistic expectations of how we're supposed to, you know, be the perfect employer and be the perfect parent and be the perfect this and be the perfect that. And as we see a lot of examples of that almost pushed upon us, I think that our mental anxiety can only increase because we feel like we're we're falling short in all areas. All right, Melanie, how do a woman's thoughts on food relate to their dieting options and what they choose to do as far as their diets? Women's thoughts about their bodies and therefore what they do with diets. So they're so connected because usually, so let's back up a sec there, Erin. In our current society, and I say current because it's not always the case, current society is all about the thin ideal, right? That's what we revere in our current society. Back in the Renaissance period, the years of Michelangelo, etc., it was a more curvaceous figure that was considered, you know, a voluptuous figure was considered, you know, the thing. So, so this is cyclical, ladies, that's what I want to say, which means it's a little bit of BS and it's a societal construct, right? We make this stuff up. So anyway, the way we think about ourselves in relation to what does society think is the most acceptable look and most attractive look of a woman And therefore, what that means though, Erin, in the way that we interpret that is, if we look the part of what society deems the most attractive, it means that we are desirable, it means that we're lovable, it means that we are of value. So this huge, huge psychological and emotional stuff packed into that. So usually what happens uh, for many women, and most of us are very dissatisfied with how we look, even if we are thin, we're still not thin enough, then that usually prompts us to Google 
what are the current diets out there or really there you just have to pick up your phone they're on social media and all your friends are telling you about i just started keto and it's amazing or i just started intermittent fasting and you need to do it too and usually we're most influenced by our friends actually and so we'll then try something that they've tried that they just rave about and then we know you go down the rabbit hole and there's a certain percentage of us erin that have a genetic vulnerability to developing an eating disorder and it's actually dieting is the what we call the gateway behavior that we believe um, through losing weight below what our body is uh, genetically designed to be at we can actually switch on the illness if you will the manifestations of it as far as how the brain works and then before you know it you're really obsessive about food calories and weight and it's it's all it feels almost like the diet is is running the whatever that expression is 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 uh, leading the way versus you're in charge and you're leading the way so to speak so how we feel about our bodies absolutely is connected to what we then do with diets and that's absolutely then connected to what happens with being vulnerable to developing an eating disorder do you have any recommendations on what to do since I think you and I are in agreement that diets don't work? I'm writing a course right now for meal prep, but I promote that there's no one-size-fits-all diet. You have to intuitively eat, learn what works for you. And I don't know if you agree with all that, but I want to yes. ask, how do terms like clean eating and maybe even veganism, how do they relate to a disorder? Because I kind of tell my clients, don't say the word treat or cheat or even clean eating. So what are your thoughts on terms like clean eating? Yeah, let's start with, um, with that last part of your question. What we know is that when you use terms such as clean or healthy even, there's a judgment to it. And I know that we use healthy as a way to describe something that has nutritional, you know, has a, a, a high nutritional uh, impact, which means that it's just got lots of vitamins and minerals in it and usually it's lots of different colors so i understand that but it also carries a judgment of oh well that's not healthy and honestly what we know to be sure is that the most helpful relationship for people generally speaking is where there's food neutrality what that means is all foods fit there's no healthy food there's no unhealthy food with respect to we're not judging food from that perspective. We are eating intuitively, as you said, from hunger, fullness and satiety, which is key because if you don't have satiety, then you won't be able to stop eating even if you're full. And in order to have satiety, you have to make sure you have enough carbohydrate. Yes, we need to eat carbohydrate, protein, and we need to also make sure we have enough fat. And that fat can be, you know, from coconut sources, which by the way, ladies, is saturated fat, which is butter. Uh, so there's been a big thing about, about coconut. Uh, and as we know in the last couple of years, and it's like, hang on a second, uh, you know, that's, that's saturated fat. But anyway, that's okay. Saturated fat, you know, our olives, our, our lovely avocado, all very great sources of, of great fats for satiety. And the body needs them. So you need to have your satiety from your three macros that I just mentioned. And when you have this food neutrality approach, Erin, as you probably observed and experienced, then you're not craving or you're not, you're not obsessing about any one type of food because you can't have that food or that's my splurge food or that's my weekend binge food. It's just 
you know, my thing is Doritos and a glass of white wine. And so that's just what I have. I love it. And I never, you know, I never like, oh, I can't eat my Doritos. Like, it's just, that's what I do. And therefore, Doritos could sit in my cupboard for weeks. And sometimes I'll go back and they're stale. I'm like, what happened here? And other times I'll, I'll, I'll eat them every night. And so I'll go through three or four packs in a week. And it's like, I don't know, it doesn't even register. So it's about food neutrality. It's about enjoying food. I'm not talking about overindulging in the sense of overeating because I'm also talking about intuitive eating, which is being aware of how full you are, comfortably full. And so when you're comfortably full, we have internal mechanisms that then shut down the desire for more food. But when you're craving food, you will actually override fullness in order to eat more of that food because it's kind of forbidden or it's a splurge. And we know that therefore it's not physical at that stage, it's more emotional eating. And so I think that many people struggle with emotional eating, number one, because of anxiety, but number two, because they forbid these foods, these foods are forbidden to them. And so there's this um, emotional charge when you start to eat them and then you find you can't stop or you feel like, okay, well, I've started, I may as well eat the rest and start again tomorrow fresh. And we have all these, um, these internal narratives about what we're going to do and around food, right? We make a lot of rules around food, Erin. Absolutely. So another term that was new to me, I think I had this, was orthorexia. Can you go into that? Absolutely. So orthorexia is um, a term that's actually been around since the 50s, but it's gained a lot of popularity is the wrong word, but we're becoming more, more and more familiar with it now. Basically what orthorexia is, is uber perfect eating, uber healthy eating, uber clean eating. In fact, orthorexia kind of captures all of those. And orthorexic eating is where you're striving for the healthiest, most organic, no GMOs, no this, locally sourced. I mean, tick every single box you can possibly tick for your meal and your meal is a perfect balanced meal. And I've got to tell you, even just describing what orthorexia is, is a little bit exhausting, let alone seeking out food and meals that represent or meet all of those criteria. It's pretty exhausting. It's very preoccupying and time consuming. And one way you can check, sorry for those people on Instagram who have photographs of their fridges that are very organized with labeled containers in their fridges with food items, but uh, you can see a lot of orthorexia on Instagram. Uh, That looks like what I just described. Thank you for explaining that. My mother, she had cancer. I think part of my grieving after she passed was if I eat something, I will get cancer. That was like part of the very beginning stage for me when I was learning about health and prevention for not too long but I didn't even know that that's what I was going through until I added more balance and learned you know there isn't good and bad and once I heard the term I thought I think I went through I feel like um, women go through ups and downs with their diets is that accurate absolutely absolutely um and first off, Erin, I just want to say my condolences to you for losing your mom, and especially through cancer. Um, and I could, I can't imagine how that must have felt. And I could imagine why you would then look at prevention and be very focused on what can I eat that's uber health, healthy that might prevent this from happening to me. And I think it is very important to note that most people who become super clean eaters or uh, very orthorexic or even disordered in their eating, 
usually come at it from an angle of wanting to just be the healthiest version of themselves that they can be. So it comes from this really well, uh, uh, well-intentioned, highly motivated place. And what's really difficult then is that, unfortunately, it can actually spiral and get out of control and get really obsessive and, and become a major part of your day in your life. And so that's really, it's really sad to see that happening, whereby in pursuing better health for yourself, you actually end up in a much unhealthier, if not medically compromised position. I'm very grateful to talk to a registered dietitian. I am precision nutrition certified, but I never went through the training like you did. And what you first said sparked another question for me. So like I said, I'm, I'm trying to teach people a streamlined meal prep protocol. And I say in my videos, I suggest to really take a conscious effort to retrain your brain. But now I'm concerned with my suggestions because if you're saying like overthinking it is bad, how do you retrain yourself to intuitively eat and think differently when shopping and making your meals? What's like the fine line there? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that the answer to that is baby steps, you know, because if you're obsessing, your brain is wired to obsess about this and it's going to take a little bit of retraining to not obsess. And the way we, the way we help our clients, Erin, is um, through something called cognitive behavioral therapy. All that means it's a fancy word for just a, a fancy therapeutic approach, really, which is really about being aware of your thoughts catching your thoughts. So if you notice yourself kind of like, oh my goodness, how many calories, how many calories? Like, oh, hang on, hang on. I'm thinking a lot about the calories here. What is that about? Am I feeling not myself today? Am I anxious? What's going on? And to gently but slowly retrain yourself really through neuroplasticity and rewiring the brain, which is what you said, to slowly but surely not be thinking about calories anymore. But in order to not think about calories, you have to also do the work about body image and, and get at the underlying emotional components that might be pushing you towards uh, having those thoughts. Yes, I always say you are your thoughts, so you have to only allow positive thoughts in and then just take one step at a time until it becomes a new routine or a new way of thinking. Exactly. Can you tell me about your publication, Redefining Wellness, The Ultimate Diet-Free Guide? Yes, absolutely. So actually um, that came about because um, a couple of years ago, Weight Watchers offered free summer programming to kids, to adolescents over the summer, free Weight Watchers programming. And we were outraged because in the eating disorder world, we know that dieting for those who are vulnerable, leads to the onset of disordered eating, if not an eating disorder. So we felt this was very, very reckless. It was like giving cigarettes to kids. And so we rallied our whole field um, to say this is not okay. We came up with the hashtag, wake up Weight Watchers. And we really protested. And you know what? They heard us. And they reached Weight Watchers, reached out and had some communication with our National Eating Disorder Association, which was really great. And in that process, we thought, well, we need to have something then to give to teens and to families about what to do then uh, if you're not going to diet, what is the anti-diet? What, what else can you do to take care of yourself from a healthy perspective instead of going to Weight Watchers and going on a diet plan? And so we then reached out to our community again and said, hey, guys, we want to comp- put together a compilation of terrific tips and ideas and poems and mantras and 
things that you've seen work for yourself or for your clients and let's put it together into a free downloadable book and that's what we did and we came up with this wonderful guide and you can download it for free if you prefer a hardback copy you can actually purchase it from amazon and we're really thrilled and pleased with that with that contribution if you will you have over 100 mental health experts so it's a wonderful resource that you're offering yeah, thanks, Erin. Yeah, there's over 100 experts. Yeah, and it's free. You know, our goal was our goal was not to make money from it. Our goal was we need to have an alternative to this. And so that's why we put it out and uh, try and distribute it and let people know about it. Great. Since a lot of women do struggle with emotional eating, binge disorders, but not every day, as you said, when does somebody need to go seek help? Or what's your recommendation for a first step if someone's experiencing that? First step would be reach out to us if you want to take that step. But what I mean by that is we have a free 20-minute consult discovery call for anyone who might be listening, Erin. They can give us a call and we can help you figure out through, through doing an assessment with you if maybe it would be helpful to see someone or maybe we could then direct you to some resources where you could try and give things a go on your own. Or if you have a family member or a friend, that would be a great place to start as well. Wonderful. Where can we find you online and where can we contact you? Absolutely. So all of this information is on our website, which is www.balancedtx.com. That's balanced, that's balanced with a D, tx.com. And you can sign up for one of those free consults that I mentioned. You can download our Redefining Wellness book. And we also have a lot of blogs and podcasts and other wonderful resources that I hope might be helpful to your listeners. My assistant, Rachel, will put all that information down below for you. And thank you, Melanie. I'm so happy to connect with people who share the correct information about diets, or even though I don't like that word, non-diets, and how to gain control of your food thoughts. So thanks for being here. Absolutely, Erin. My pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. You can find every episode, including the written versions to read on erinrow.com. Be sure to leave a review because I love hearing your opinions on the topics I shared. Are they new? Are they helpful for you? Tap that subscribe button so you don't miss the future interviews and enlightenment to come. This episode was brought to you by me and only me because I love sharing new ideas with you. Take action to become better. Have a fabulous day.